0: And you're very welcome along to this week's edition of the Rocky Road Rewind. I'm Simon Maguire and I'm delighted to be joined as ever by regular host uh, and boxing writer for the Irish Sun, Kevin Byrne, and by up-and-coming Irish prospect, Ternan Bradley. Welcome to the show, Ternan. Well, lads, how's it going? Good, good. And we have you on especially because um, Conor McGregor's back in the ring, or back in the octagon, I should say, against Dustin Poirier. But... You were involved, uh, we're going to go back to August 2017 and the Mayweather-McGregor super fight, which took 4.3 million in pay-per-views in the US alone. I know it well, I know it well. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason why you're here. (laughs) Ah, yeah, I know. And um, Kev, do you want to take us back to August 2017 to set the scene first?
2: Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, Ternan. Good to see you. How are you keeping? Good to see you as well, Kev. Just looking
1: back at some messages there, even talking to you back when the fight was happening,
2: uh, so giving you some inside information. I <laughs> always got, always got you know, a finger on the pulse there, Tiernan. Um, yeah, some people want to forget that that fight ever took place and it's impossible to ignore the fact that an Irishman was in the second biggest fight of all time uh, and I don't think any Irish boxer is ever going to be in as high profile a fight. Uh, we call Conor McGregor an Irish boxer, he's still 0-1 and one. maybe by the end of his career he will uh, have added a few Uh, names to his box names to his box rec rec record and maybe a couple of wins as well we're going to go back to August 2017 it's uh, not that long ago but the world is moving so fast at the minute that some of the history is uh, noteworthy we see in sports news uh, Neymar joined PSG for $222 million Uh, Usain Bolt came to the end of his running career came third in his final uh, individual 100 meters race uh, In world politics. Donald Trump said that there was blame on both sides in relation to Charlottesville uh, and later on and he fired Steve Bannon. Uh, there was a terror attack at Las, R- Las Ramblas in Barcelona, which killed 16 and injured 120. Um, back to sports just for a second. Justin Thomas won the PGA Championships at Quail Hollow. The fight world was obsessed with one fight, the money fight, uh, which, would have been, which had been announced at short notice earlier in that summer. Uh, Tiernan Bradley, you were Conor McGregor's chief boxing sparring partner to prepare for the, the greatest fighter in the world at the time, Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He may have been 40 years old, out of the ring for a while, but he still had it. And you got the call, Simon. I know you're going to ask uh, the first question to Tiernan, but I probably just, I'm in the middle of uh, talking nonsense. <laughs> How did your name get picked out of the hat, turn and what was it about you? Um, you know, the funny
1: thing was, um I didn't believe it at the start. Um my my coach had texted me saying Conor McGregor is looking sparry and me and my coach has this kind of it's just a, a relationship where he's always joking. So I took it as if he was joking and uh, I was just like, I don't believe you. When's training kind of thing and he was like you're not, do you not do you not really not believe me and i said i don't and he showed me the text messages and the way i was set up was connor wallace who's an irish prospect over in australia at the moment he had sparred connor for the Nate diaz fight and so like he was a tall southpaw, rangy give connor the look um first you know a stand-up spawn and that's that's what Connor likes doing is having somebody in camp who kind of gives you that that style. Obviously, you know every fighter wants that in you know. But he specifically likes to have people stylistically, um, uh, stylistically best for your camp. Um, but anyway, he actually asked Connor Wallace, "Was there anybody in Ireland that kind of fights like Mayweather? You know, was kind of on the back foot, kind of always." Um, it got that shoulder roll, gives you that look. And Connor Wallace actually put my name in the hat, and I was asked down the train. I was put up in the red cow, and I was there for about four or five days. And I had no word for training or sparring. I didn't get a call, and then I got a call one day. I was actually there with two other sparring partners as well. Nate already sparred Connor. And that was a guy called Lewis Adolfi. He was a professional fighter from London. And Deshaun Johnson, who was previously in the UFC, uh, was dropped by the UFC for taking a, a boxing fight outside you know, his contract. Um, but he was also there. And he was—he's actually he actually fought Sergei Derevchenko for maybe a middleweight world title eliminator in Madison Square Garden. Um, so he's no dozer, like a really good journeyman in America, is what they would say a journeyman in America. Um, I was there for a few a few days until I got the call and landed around to spawn. and he was a few hours late. And I, like uh, some people think, oh, he's maybe half an hour, thirty minutes, forty minutes late. It was it was about four hours late. Nice. <laughs> and I would landed there, and I, I don't know whether it was like the coaches didn't know it, or he was. Like, I'm I'm thinking Dublin traffic isn't like traffic anywhere else. Like you know, you'll get through. Dublin in maybe an hour and a half, two hours at most, if there is bad traffic, not four hours. So he probably, he wanted to not piss me off, but maybe a little bit of a mental game on it. Um, but I remember him walking in there and I was just, a, I was just a baby faced young lad and everybody kind of looked at me as fresh meat waiting for Connor to eat me up. And I think that's where I really proved my worth to Connor. Cause I remember after the first day Connor just after the spar, Connor just shook my hand and said, all right, you're going to Vegas kid. I was like, like I didn't really think of it because it was after a hard tough spar. I was trying to just get my breath back. And, uh, that's when things kind of all started out. That was the start of the summer and he went off on his world tour and I didn't hear nothing for a few weeks. And then, I, th- I thought ah, sh- I probably didn't get the call, or I, I didn't get going to Vegas, and no. all of a sudden got the phone call while I was while I was in a pub, uh, watching the throne. I don't know. Throne was maybe playing Donny Gall in the Ulster final, and I was in the pub and I was with my mates and so was playing snooker. Like this phone call off his manager and was like, "Look, can you hop on the ve hop on a plane to Vegas tonight?" Like this was maybe one o'clock in the day and I was like half kind of steaming as well, like half half cut. It's four o'clock in the day, of course. Yeah, well, we were, it was the throne we'd done a golf match, you know, <laughs> they all, they'd be on at like, what, 12, half twelve? Yeah, we were yeah. drinking maybe since half eleven, we're all playing sugar or whatever. And uh, I got a phone call from his manager, and was like, you hop on a flight tonight? And I was like, look, I need to go home and get sorted, I need to have money sorted. And he was like, look, We'll have everything kind of ready for you. Uh, we'll have food and everything ready for you when you get here. You won't need that much. Um, and we'll sort out the contracts when you get here uh, for payment. And I was like, oh, "What the hell?" <laughs> I was like, "Look, can I? Can you maybe book the flight for the morning so I can go home, and get packed, and say goodbye to me, my parents?" Like me, I was only twenty. Yeah. So like, my mom was my mom was a bit sketchy. She was like, "Look, I'm not gonna tell you not to go, but just be careful." <laughs> And uh, hopped on a flight then uh, to Vegas the next morning and got picked up by the lads and that's when Vegas happened.
2: And it all started. Yeah. Simon, you you like do you remember the excitement in the air at the time? Um a lot of a lot of people in Pro Boxing there were kind of writing off saying, This is a farce, it's a clown show. Uh McGregor has absolutely no chance, but that didn't stop the, the world and its imagination running an absolute riot. Simon, you were telling me before we were recording about Mayweather's run of form or McGregor's, pardon me, McGregor's run of form coming
0: into this fight and why people believe that he was the truth. Yeah, well, I mean, he'd he'd won sixteen of his last seventeen fights. Pretty much all of them were by uh knockout, the ones he lost, where it was a submission loss to um tonight Diaz when he went up to welterweight and fought at a hundred 170 pounds so people kind of had them as uh, two kind of odd fights just different out there but really in his in his 145 to 155 career he was just stopping ads left right and center and I, I think it was kind of like there was nobody there khabib kind of really wasn't on, he was on the scene but he was just kind of this this force somewhere over in russia that hadn't really cracked the ufc market and kind of like what Kamayev is doing now, kind of exactly like what um, Kamayev yeah. is doing, and it's, it's it's he's kind of just there. Although Kamayev was getting a bit of a, big, a bigger jump because I think I think he was due to fight Leon Edwards, who was top three or four ranked, so it would have been a, a like, bigger bump. The stub toe or a finger or something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, but yeah. The, the Khabib thing—he was just—it was kind of like a shadow. But the fight didn't make sense financially. Um, and it, I remember just thinking, he, I wouldn't mind seeing him box, but I don't know if if fighting the best pure boxer. Possibly of all time, but definitely of the last twenty five years, is you know where he should be putting himself in.
1: I think what the the lads were thinking was, all right, Floyd is forty years of age. You know, there's not many people that can still fight at forty years of age. Like you, you take a look at most of the big guys over the last twenty years that have getting beaten near the end of the careers. They have been forty. Like you take a look at Canelo against Shane Mosley. Canelo took apart Shane Mosley. He wasn't the same. He didn't have the the, the best of uh, hand speed. You take a look at Pacquiao now. Even though he's still an absolute beast, he's not the same Pacquiao as he was. And I think what that's what the camp was holding on to um, was that he's not the same guy. But yeah, sadly they were mistaken. Um, I don't. I don't. Floyd just doesn't age. He's like Dorian Gray and
2: so so <laughs> how did you how did you become Floyd what did you do See, so that's what, so the way I box is I
1: I use my uh, st- like uh, lean back right hand a lot I, I use my um, my shoulder roll effectively as well and I counter after the shoulder roll uh, very effectively um, and I, I, I trouble guys as well with my punching power when I do catch you on the, on the back foot and I'm very tricky to catch so I think that's that's why he thought that Connor's pressure and as a southpaw would be very awkward for Floyd, um, as he's on the back foot. But little did they, um, little did they see in the future that Floyd was going to come forward and try and scrap and walk him down, which was which is probably I didn't see it, but a boxer's the way a boxer should see it is. That if you're like if, I, like if I'm going in against the MMA guy now, I'm gonna put the pressure on him I'm gonna try and break him down. You know, and I I think it's just because Connor didn't have that many boxing um minds around him at the time that that's where they made that mistake. Yeah. Uh, and if you see a lot of the um interviews that Connor has had since then, you know, he's he's back training with Phil Saucliffe. Uh, he's back in, in Crumlin. Um, he's in a boxing community. Phil's a very smart coach. He's been around for a very long time. You know him himself. You know was a very good boxer. He went to the Olympics. Um, so he he, he would have broke it down for Connor as well. I'm sure they've sat down together and broke it down. You know, they have a tight bond. And Connor's really listened to him. Whereas I think the only person that Connor had in his camp uh, who was a, a part of a boxing community. Was myself and Tommy McCormick. who was a cut man, mm. you know. And you know, I know no disrespect to Owen Roddy or John Cavanaugh. Owen Roddy's a fantastic striking coach, and I'm sure he just doesn't know the ways of boxing and pro boxing as well. Um, I've learned a lot over the last two years working with Stephen O'Rourke. He's my coach. Um, he would have worked long with the pros in. New York LA and Manchester so it's just a different aspect going from amateur the professional is a big step because over so, once you go further than four rounds it is a completely different sport you have to have a the complete will to survive
0: uh, the, you mentioned it there the, the other thing that had people thinking that this might be a fight was the fact that Connor's a a southpaw and Floyd has kind of traditionally not struggled but they've given him the most difficulty over his pro career generally have been south and he had the reach and he had the height and he had the, the he was younger uh, in his yeah. prime but mm-hmm. just in terms of the, the sparring lead up to the up to the up to the fight how when you're in Vegas what was that like and how many rounds were you doing you know let's say three um, weeks four weeks out
1: we were in we were in like serious rounds I don't know where I don't know where 60 rounds with him um, over the course of eight weeks, um, some of the other lads, like some of the other lads, weren't used as much as myself. Uh, and then I kind of got a little bit of a break whenever Polly came in and Polly sparred him twice. You know what I mean? Um, he gave me a bit of a break, so I was happy with that. And then obviously Polly went off on his world tour and started mouth- mouthing and stuff like that. Um, that's where I kind of animosity came into the camp then. Um, whenever he came back from his his little tour of Bad Mountain. Um, and then Connor obviously I wouldn't say tried and trap him, but and I wouldn't say set him up. It was just a spar. But Dana White was there, you know, everybody was there to see that file that, that spar. And then after that Polly Polly left. Uh, or Polly went back to the house and then the, the picture was leaked. And then Polly left the house. Um, soon after that, I remember just thinking, "Who the hell leaked that, that that picture?" Because none of the pictures, none of the pictures ever got out. but that one slipped through. It was a bit. It was a bit weird. And then Connor was asking me a few questions about Polly. What? Why? Why did he go? Whatever. And you know what the funny thing was. When I was, I was actually doing Polly's Corner for that sport. I remember, I think it was, Polly was so out of shape. He, he it, it didn't look like he trained for ages. There were some nights during the camp, he was heading out at maybe like 10 o'clock at night and not coming home to maybe one or two in the morning. And I was just, you'd probably think that he's probably out drinking, especially being in Vegas. So you know that he didn't take it serious. And with him being a little bit butthurt about everybody saying that Connor beat him up, Connor did beat him up. And I'll say that now, and he doesn't like me he probably doesn't like me saying that. And a lot of his fans don't like me saying that. Connor did beat him up. But I'm sure if Polly got in a little bit of shape and got back boxing, same as the way when he bought Artem in the bare if he had, if he if he boxed a little, got back to his boxing and got into shape. He would give Connor a relatively good fight, but I still think Connor would beat him by looking at that, looking at that spar. Mm. I still think Connor w- would be too strong for him and too big for him, as Polly is <laughs> well known for being a light welter. Connor re- hasn't really dropped under, you know, when he fought at 145, it was 66 kilo, light welter 63 and a half, pushing welterweight, which was 66.7. Polly's a smaller guy. So I think Connor would have the upper hand on him if they ever fight. If if Polly was on in, in shape,
2: what did um what did being involved in such a kind of massive event and all the media interest in that fight, what did that teach you about your own career moving forward, or did you take any lessons from being in the eye of the spo- in the eye of the storm, in the spotlight at the time? Because I remember the inter- the interest from around the world, even in that spar, was massive, and people probably would have been contacting you to try and find out details. What did you take away from it all?
1: Don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. Um, I think that's what it took from everything. If somebody, somebody's giving you grief online, just don't react to it because I think that's where Polly has fallen into the trap where he's reacted to every single thing and he's made it a little bit too obvious that he did get beat up in that spar because he's so buttered. Um, you know what I mean? Like when I say that word, it, it is absolute. But he was—he was so buttered over it. I think if he. If he shrugged it off and would have said, ha ha, you know, great spar, but I still smacked you up kind of thing. You know, I think people wouldn't have believed that he got smacked up. You know, I don't know. It's just yeah. that that's the way that's the way, that's what I take out of it. That it just don't give a shit. But what the media or anybody uh, says about you just do your own thing
2: and um, and train hard. Now a few uh, months ago, we had one of Floyd Mayweather's trainers on, Nate Jones, and he talked to us about being in the uh, dressing room prior to the prior to the money yeah. fight taking place. And he said that his takeaway from it was that McGregor was absolutely terrified. And I guess that leaves the impression, if you're going to take him at face value, that the camp was quite, you know, gripped by fear and paranoia, and it, w- it wasn't a good feeling and a good vibe behind the scenes. What? W- how would you respond to that?
1: Um, there was no fear in the in the before. Like I remember, it was so relaxed. And there was like, I, I remember they they didn't have any anybody to sing uh, the national anthem, and then they had Imelda May sing it. Um, forgot his ball guard. I don't think it was fear. I think it was more. Some things went wrong, and I kind of it didn't mess with Connor's head, but I kind of threw him a little bit. It, you, it has to be something huge to make Conor McGregor fear, you know, it has to be something huge, like it might have threw him off a little bit mentally and trying to, he was trying to get in his groove, but at the same time, he was not fearful at, at all, um, like he was warming up in his suit pants. You know what I mean? Like he was warming up in his suit pants. He had his hand wraps wrapped. He was shadow boxing around in his suit pants. He was he was in his own, like how can you say a man's fearful of his shadow boxing in his suit pants? Like, you'd get dressed straight away and you'd be a little bit you'd be sitting there kinda of looking around you and a bit, right?
2: Yeah, you know, now, from looking from the outside, I, I didn't make it to Vegas that week, but it looked like the town went absolutely crazy. What do you recall from the couple of days before the fight? Like, there was a lot of Irish in town. I think for a 20,000 seater venue, only 15,000 or, or just f- or fewer than 15,000 made it in because of the price of tickets. But yeah. so many people actually went to Vegas and didn't attend the fight. So it looked like the fu- the city was just bursting. The
1: win was absolutely crazy. Uh, I remember it's like we got there at the win and. It was, so, it was so funny because I was walking in McConnor for the weigh-in, and I was I was kind of like I was behind Colin Byrne, who um, is Connor's like kind of strength and conditioning kind of guy, and works with McGregor fast. And I remember just kind of walking him backwards because he was holding the camera, and I was walking backwards, kind of making sure nobody was a uh, was going to trip over him or he was going to trip over any leads. I remember just looking around, and there's people going to grab Connor, and they were grabbing me, and my hair was getting pulled, and and there was more people at the way in than there was at the fight, obviously, and because I think it was, there was three tickets in the way in, right. and outside was absolutely, absolutely crazy. You know, there was people coming up to me and grabbing me, and asking me for pictures, and there was people from my hometown, you know, groups of 15 to 20 people from my hometown. My hometown's only 30,000 people. There, was, there must have been about... 15 groups about 20 people you know asking for pictures from my hometown and it was absolutely crazy all over like i'd say i'd say Ireland went from easily six million people to about four and a half million people whenever that fight was happening because there were so many people over there um but yeah the lead up that was absolutely crazy i remember i made up i made good friends with chris eubank's son joseph eubank um, He doesn't box. He's not not, not one of the boxers. Um, I remember being at the fight and I was in the changing rooms and I got this phone call from Joseph on WhatsApp. It was like, ah, oh, hey, how's it going? Joseph, what's it going? And it was Chris Eubank Sr. on the phone. And I'll not do... I, 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 I Do it. No, I'm not doing do it. that. I'm not do it. doing that. He do was it. like, Tienan uh, can can you get me into the fight? And a uh, terrible accent. God, terrible it's good But essentially, he says that he was meant to be going to the fight with Tony Senior, Tony McGregor Senior, or Tony McGregor, um, Connor's dad. But they left without him, and he has no. He was meant to get him with him, and he had no tickets. Blah blah blah, bluffing bluffing himself into the fight. Um. So I was like. Eubank Senior is one of my friggin' idols. I can't let him down here. And I was put on me like I was only freaking 20. Do you really think I have a pull over a ticket? People get, random people getting tickets. Yeah. I, I walked over to this promoter of the, the the arena. I was like, look, Chris Eubank Senior is outside. He was meant to be here with Tony Senior. And they were like, oh, yeah, no problem. We'll get him in now. And he was like, look, can you go out to the front door and meet him and bring him in? On the the security. I was like, what? I actually got him in for free. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I walked the door and I got him in. And I remember he was with Joseph, his son. And I was like, look, Chris, yeah, you, you can go in. He goes, can Joseph come in as well? And they were like, no, you can't come in. So he just he just went, all right, good luck, his son. And <laughs> left his son Like His son was only like 19 <laughs> or 20 as well. Like he just uh, kind of uh, left his son to it. Walked in, I remember he, he was wearing his pointy shoes, black skinny jeans, purple shirt. Pretty sure he was wearing a sheriff badge as well. Essential central police you know, Something mad. And then I remember walking up out with him and then he was saying, look, if you ever need anything, uh, give me a shout, blah, blah, blah. So he owes me a favor. You know, if Chris Ubinga is wasn't his, uh, you owe me a favor, Chris, a big favor um <laughs> then he, And then he tried to walk. He was like, "Look, where's my seat?" And I was like, "I got you in. I'm not gonna walk you <laughs> to your seat. You know what I mean? Like, Do you <laughs> want me to take your coat? So
2: Give me, me a cappuccino, please." <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So he was like, "Look, I'll probably I'll find somewhere." I remember, he ended up walk. He ended up ringside. Of course, he did. I don't, I don't know how he ended up ringside. I think he ended up walking him O'Connor. I remember. You remember that guy that got into the the, the Mayweather fight um,
0: f- for free? Remember he done a video on YouTube. So. yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the ukulele song. I think so. I think was it was his name? him. He was a I teacher. He did the ukulele song. Remember, there's only one Connor McGregor, and there's oh, one. no. Oh, there's that Mick uh, Constantine. Constantine, Mick Constantine. No. no, it was a different guy. It was a YouTuber
1: guy. Um, he sneaked in, and I remember he was doing the video when he was doing like. You know, a sneaky video through his iPhone or whatever. And somebody was, he was going up an elevator and he comes out of the elevator. This YouTube video has got a million, like loads of views on YouTube. And he comes out of the video or out of the elevator and there's me walking past with Chris Eubank Sr. Ah. You
2: know,
1: having this random chat. And uh, if, if people that don't, don't believe me I always refer to that video. Got your
2: proof. Exactly. Yeah, well, Christopher Livingston, Eubank, you owe this man a favor if you're listening. Exactly. Get in touch. Exactly. It was the most craziest experience ever,
1: even after the fight, going back to the changing room. And I remember you kind know, we're all standing outside the changing room. And there was a buffet there for some of the producers and the promoters. And I don't know. But there was a steaming Jared Butler and Chris Hemsworth standing there. And these guys are freaking huge, huge big guys. And then Don Cheadle, who's a tiny guy. And I remember they were just standing there. And Jerry Butler looks absolutely steaming, big red facing him. Got this mad Scottish-American accent. And he's stuffing his mouth with like chicken goujons and, I don't know, boulevants. And, just crab buffet food. I remember I tried to start a conversation with him while he had food in his mouth. And I was like, oh, what do you think of the fight? And uh, he went to speak and he remembered that he had food in his mouth. And then Chris Hemsworth buttered him and was like, yeah, I think he done relatively well for a guy from MMA coming over to boxing. And then Don Cheadle buttered him. He was like, yeah, I thought he actually done very, very good. Uh, Floyd's an absolute monster, blah, blah, blah. and. I remember just being absolutely starstruck, standing there, even listening to them. And I didn't even know what I
2: was going to say next. I just stand there
1: staring. And, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'd have thought the starstruck was gone out of you at that stage after a couple of weeks in Las Vegas. But I suppose, yeah, everywhere you go, you be bigger, bigger names. It,
1: it wasn't like it, even when, before the fight, we were kind of walking around as he was getting warmed up and I walked in ringside. And we we're just standing there, kind of watching a fight. And we're standing at the front and one of the stewards was like, sit down, sit down. And I can look, I thought somebody behind me was like, giving me the evils or something. I turned around and there was frigging A-Rod and J-Lo just sitting there. And I was standing right in front of them. You know, I was so ignorant. And then I was like, oh shit. <laughs> and then I turned, I turned to my right. And then there was like LeBron James and like all the basketball guys and the, the American, uh, athletes all sitting there and they're all in their mad gold chains and mad hair was freaking chast and then I had to get out of there because I didn't even have a band to get into the ringside area I yeah. I just sneaked my way in with some some guy that was with my guy. Yeah, that uh, was pretty here. crazy
2: in terms of the action in the ring uh McGregor does quite well in the early rounds uh, how much did you see him putting into practice what he'd what he'd been doing in the ring with you? And a couple of minutes in, how how are you feeling about how he's doing in the fight? Are you surprised? You think he's got a chance?
1: He started very quickly. Um, I remember sitting me and Deshaun Johnson sat beside each other. He started very quickly. And I said this to Connor after after the fight. I was like, look, he started very quickly. Um, you wasted your energy in a, a lot of things. Um, like the slapping and, and trying to get on the outside and the shifts on the outside of the lead hand. Um, and I said, like you just wasted your energy in the start of the rounds. You should have, you should have noticed that, that Floyd was trying to beat you on, and trying to get the energy out of you and leading on to the, the, the later rounds. Like you know, you're in a twelve round fight. You know, you're not in a, th- a three round amateur fight in the national stadium. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a it's a big stage as well. Then bright lights burn heavily on your back. the The canvas is very heavy as well when you're fighting. Trains absolute legs out of you, but like I never seen a man put in the work that Conor McGregor put in for that fight. Like he put in the work; his training camp was immense. He was training in altitude. He was cycling in the heat, the dry heat in Nevada. Um, there was a few videos you and I can't be running in the the underwater uh, treadmill, but uh, he does mostly cycling. Um, but like, seeing see when we were sparring, like we were spawning nine, nine rounds every single time, and then he was finishing off on maybe six rounds on pads. Um, maybe it's just something, maybe it's just he needs to pace himself. He maybe he has too much touch fibers, or fast touch fibers, that he needs to uh, change into endurance fibers. I don't know. Um, it's hard to know where. Uh, what he should change whenever he's
2: in camp. I, I suppose you, just, you can't substitute experience and like Lennox Lewis tweeted afterwards I think on the night he says boxers are conditioned to go 12 rounds all Floyd Mayweather had to do was take him to deep water and drown him any good boxer would have done the same I suppose there's no substitute for having done it mm-hmm. exactly
0: uh, just in relation to the training uh, this is going to sound like a bit of a weird question but when you're fighting an MMA like he tends to glide across the canvas um because he's barefoot did you know mm-hmm. it was any different did he did he train all the time with um boxing shoes on or did you know it was any different with, with his footwork No
1: he he trained with boxing shoes on he, he had it, obviously you know cuz the ca- the canvas that we were sparring was it would have cut the toes of you if you were if you did have bare feet um it was always on a, a on a boxing canvas um but I don't know I don't it, I don't know cuz obviously I'm not an MMA guy myself I don't know how it would feel with barefoot. Um, I would imagine the shoes would just give you a little bit more support. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm not an MMA guy to be able to answer that because I don't. I never fought without uh, without shoes.
0: But just in terms so, of looking at the fight itself, did, did you know what was happening? Was he was he moving as you expected him to move, um, or did did you see an improvement uh, over the couple of weeks, or was it just he, he, the footwork is kind of irrelevant? Really, he had he had what he had.
1: I would, it was irrelevant, like you know, when you are a southpaw against an orthodox fighter, um, you tend to float around to the outside of the the orthodox's hand, lead hand, um, and bring in the backhand, and I think that's what they were concentrating as well on was trying to lead on the outside of the the lead lead foot, bring in the backhand, which was his Connor's strong hand, and then bring over the right hook, which is a pretty simple tactic for for southpaws against uh, orthodox. Um, is to be in that backhand. So, um, I would say his, his legs were probably a little bit heavy from the canvas. I don't know. Uh, the canvas might've been a little bit thick, Because I'd say Floyd, Floyd's legs are probably conditioned from the, the amount of doghouse spars that he's probably had in, in the Mayweather gym. Yeah. Uh, that man's conditioning would've been through the roof. As you say, it
2: can't be the experience. He fought the perfect fight as well because I suppose even if McGregor was a complete novice in terms of pro boxing, he had to be wary of getting caught with a city shot early in the fight. Mayweather throws in the first three rounds combined, he, he only throws three uh, power punches yeah. uh, in three rounds. So, like, three around. And, and there then were probably if, body punches as well. Yeah, probably, yeah. Uh, and like, for the rest of the fight, and bear in mind it's over in the tent, he throws 143 power punches and lands 60% of them. I think of the nine, he only landed 41% as well. So he really begins to load up from around four, five, six. And at that stage, you can see that the bubble has burst. And McGregor has a little bit of joy, but as he's getting tired, McGregor's actually only really grown into yeah. the fight. So afterwards, mm-hmm. there's an impression that McGregor's done really well and he hasn't embarrassed himself. But I guess Floyd has also kind of fought the perfect fight for what it was.
1: Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like the boxers, especially with Floyd having 50 fights, is a is muscle memory for... Those types of rounds, like the three minute, those three minute rounds, wow. is it, a it's a piece of piss. Right. For, my you know, for twelve rounds, it, like he's done twelve rounds. How many? And especially later on in his career, when he wasn't really knocking out guys, he was doing twelve rounds on the daily. Yeah, uh, and, you know that guy was was he,
2: he was e- easily doing twelve rounds in camp. Um, he, he's thirty nine. He's thirty. He's thirty nine and oh, when McGregor's doing his plumbing apprenticeship. Yeah, He's ter- thirty-nine and zero. Yeah. Um. I remember at the time there was a lot of talk. Is this this fight is going to be the downfall of boxing? And then other people thought all oh, the eyeballs that this is going to bring is actually going to be a great thing for the sport. I don't know where you guys stand at it. I think. I enjoyed it at the time, and I don't like to get too moralistic. It's a fight, and it's a prize fighting. They're there to make money. Both of them got well paid. Floyd made, Mayweather made upwards of two hundred million dollars. McGregor made a hundred million dollars plus. Fair play to them. People tune in. People pay the money. I think people, say- but
1: people, people play into the fact that, um, and this is a this is a terrible thing to say, but in America, there's a, there's a there's definitely a thing called the Great White Hope, and it is absolutely crazy. We're playing to the fact where, you know. You take a look at Kelly Pavlik for years. Mayweather had, was the, the best boxer in, in America. Um, and then when this, the, like nobody challenged them, not one person challenged them. And then a, a guy that's on top of his game, a white guy that's on top of his game in MMA, comes in. And especially in America, you know, with America being such a, a crazy place and, and a racist place as well, um, they've they seen Connor, oh, they're going to overthrow uh, this massive black figure and him being a, a, the white hope coming in to uh from mma over the boxing i think people were playing into th- that fact as well um so i think that attracted a lot of the big things as well it was white v black and floyd tried to bring that in as well and some of the, he did, the yeah. press yes, he did, yeah. Um yes. some people tried to say that connor called him a monkey you know c- I, I don't believe that Connor was racist once towards them during that
0: camp. Uh, he made, people uh, he made the uh, dance for me, boy. Remark at one of yeah, the B- things. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, it was a very ignorant mar- remark to make. I don't think he meant it in the way that it would come across in America, but you yeah. know, um, he did say it in America. <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah. it it kind of riled up. It would feed into what you are saying, all right, Jim? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that's why it, that's why it attracted a lot of things and and a lot of viewers from America as well. Um, Which is and
2: bear in mind as well the maga stuff I mentioned at the start, like with the Charlottesville happens that month. Trump is in power. Trump is linked inextricably to the UFC. Dana White supported him. I think he he nearly attended. I don't think he did, but he nearly attended uh, McGregor's previous fight. But then again, Floyd was Floyd Mayweather was uh, a supporter as well of Trump. So I guess uh, it's difficult to you're not sure where you draw the line. But I reckon probably McGregor had a lot of the maga guys on his side. Oh, yeah, uh, for of, sure, of
1: course, of course, and a lot of the Irish community over there uh, there as well. and you see a lot of the Irish community over there getting a lot of grief for supporting um Trump and things like that, which is totally understandable understandable. They have their beliefs, but at the same time, if you're against if you're against things like that coming from an Irish immigration point, um you're you're not Irish at all. Yeah, well, it, you
2: know, every time you see some sort of dickhead con- congressman making a fool out of himself you're waiting and hoping he doesn't have an Irish name and then it's yeah. O'Brien or something oh no come on. <laughs> well hopefully, hopefully we'll see a bit bit more um, uh, like with Baden
1: coming in and yeah. him having a lot of his, uh, his Irish roots and in touch with his uh, Irish roots Hopefully Make we'll see progress. a bit of progress for the, the Irish American trade. Absolutely. Especially um, for banks are coming in with me being a northerner as well.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass.
0: You see, um,
2: you see, your uh, one of your successors as a McGregor boxer sparring partner is Dylan Moran from. So you'd probably know Dylan quite well. Uh, He's he's sparring against Floyd Mayweather. No, he's sparring against Conor McGregor now to prepare him for his next fight, and he's getting a lot of the attention that you would have got back a couple of years ago. And for Dylan Moran, it's led to these kind of unfortunate associations with these YouTube boxers. I kind of think you can trace the roots of the YouTube boxers probably a little bit back to the money fight. Uh, but you see, Dylan Moran now is getting a lot of grief off Jake Paul and these other irrelevant people. But I guess it's for him; it's probably good for his name and his recognition and his future in boxing.
1: Ah, yes, massive for Dylan. Um, well, Dylan, Dylan has what sixteen fights as a, a professional fighter. Um, he had that unfortunate loss over in america um you know i, I spoke to uh, dylan about that um about that fight you know a lot of things went wrong for him in that camp he, he should have won that fight easy it was his debut kind of fight with star boxing mm. when he had signed with them. um it was an unfa- unfortunate thing he got caught um and that was it that was all she wrote but he's came back so strong since then. He's signed with that BGP in Germany. He was doing fantastic over there, and then he gets another knock. They go bust at the start of kind of COVID happening, and then he has to come back here and start all over again. He's back to square one, being a sixteen a sixteen fight. What else would you say, veteran in terms of the Irish Irish boxing community um, at twenty four or twenty five years of age? Like they, they get that knock. And that early in his career, and getting so many knocks that early in his career would put the normal fighter off, you know. And mm-hmm. I think there's a, ma- a massive help for him now. And with Jake Paul even calling him out, he's I know Dylan, he's laughing this off. Like, he he's loving it. You know, he's loving to see this happening. And a lot of Waterford fans are uh, are loving seeing this happen because it's one of the one of their own. I mean, being called up by Jake Paul, he's got 20 million followers on Instagram. It's great to see. I remember my my little brother rang me and he was like, "Look at Jake Paul's story right now." I was only up maybe ten minutes on Jake Paul's story, and I looked in. And I was like, "Oh my god!" And then it rang me mid flick, and it, but like that's how fast it gets out there because it's like, "Oh my god!" Like yeah, he's gonna call it by this guy. I can't believe he said this. He's done this. What a cheeky, you know. And but it's, it's fantastic for for Dylan, and it was like a fantastic kind of call back. From what Jay Paul had said, you know, sitting in the Lambo, chilling in Dubai, not a worry in the world, um, and then just says, "Look, I don't want to fight you. I don't want any money, but we'll go to Floyd Mayweather's gym, Vegas, and we'll fight it out. Doghouse War, and I um, was, I was phenomenal uh, callback from them."
2: Yeah, well, I, an old boss of mine once said to me that boxing, uh, the world of boxing is really incestuous and it seems that everybody knows everybody, but this whole thing's coming full circle. So Dylan's inviting Jake Paul now to go to Floyd Mayweather's gym and Mayweather is supposed to be fighting Logan Paul next month. And I, I'm, I'm getting a bit tired of all these guys now, to be honest with you. But yeah. hopefully it is,
1: um, it is a bit tiring, you know, for the boxing fan. It is, a ma- it is crazy. Um, what did you say? Like money talks. Yeah, at the end of the day and boxing his business you know so I don't know it, it'd be great to see it'd be great to see some of this barn that would come out from Dylan and Jake Dylan yeah. and tear him apart
2: well he'd absolutely and, yeah he'd rip him a new one I'm
1: sure of it but like Jake Jake calling like out guys that are fighting at like 67 kilo Jake Paul is like 90 kilo I mean, like Nate, he came in about one hundred and eighty pounds or something. I don't know, something crazy for the Nate Robinson fight. Nate Robinson came in at like one hundred and seventy nine, one hundred eighty pounds, which was like ten pound difference. Like, are you being how is how are these commissions commissioning the fights?
2: Yeah. Well, I don't think I crossed the road to watch it. To be honest with you, but uh... it's like going back to them pride fights in Japan,
1: you know, Muhammad Ali against the the wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> or like. A big, uh, a big. Uh, remember your girl. Um, it's a Ruby Garcia. She would fight some of the ja- j- Japanese uh, MMA fighters, and there's a massive weight difference between the two.
0: Yeah, I think I think Leo Leo Machida fought um, BJ Penn at light at light heavyweight, and BJ Penn was yeah. the UFC lightweight champion at one stage. You know. Yeah. So.
2: <laughs> it, is, uh, it, it kind of brings you back to these types of fights as well. You know, fantasy fights. <laughs> Well, just give me a, give me the genuine article anytime. At this time last year, uh, Tiernan, you were um, in a very different stage of your career.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, um, I kind of well, I was kind of lost in the ways of my thinking and the ways of my training. Um, last year uh, turned everything around at Christmas. Started training very hard. Um, turned vegan in January. Done the usual green vegan, as I would say. I'd done that for January ended off for February as well, and then I was like, "Oh, it's just, this is amazing!" I dropped office from like na- ninety-five to eighty kilo, oh. and uh, like over the, the January February months, and then it was my brother-in-law's stag party, and we went to Galway for it. It's probably one of the last kind of get getaways for before COVID, and um, I ended up eating the supermax on the way home, like chicken burger, and I didn't know until the next morning and looked at my bedside locker and there was a big chicken burger and I was like, ah, broke it. Frank, two months down the drain. And then two weeks later, my sister got married um, and that was March 13th. And it was, that was the last kind of wedding before complete lockdown. Um, But then I remember lockdown happened, everybody was lost. Didn't know what the crack was. And I was kind of, I turned to like Zoom calls, uh, drinking with my mates, doing quizzes, blah, blah, blah. Went from 80 to like 95 again, two stone, crazy. Just eating, takeaways, drinking, and then got back in the training. My mates pulled me out of my house one morning and said, look, we're going to do a bit bit out the back We'd gone a bit out the back done some forest runs, trained very hard right up till July. Things started to open up down in Dublin again. Moved back to Dublin. Back in the train with Steven and then had my first fight in October. I dropped from ninety five to sixty eight kilo um, for my fight in October, and Incredible. then I dropped, dropped down to sixty six. Then for my last fight there in December, and now we're going down to sixty four. My next fight, so it's a, it's been a massive journey
2: from where I was to where I am now, and yeah, yeah. I can only I can only get better, you know. And um, what happened you in the the kind of last years from your name up in lights, you know, being interviewed, you know, or media organizations all over the world talking about the money fight, which we've discussed in great detail today, and your contributions being brilliant. What happened to you in the last years between, you know, the COVID and uh, and making your professional debut in twenty twenty, and and then what what happened in there? Um, I
1: don't know. Uh, I remember I had a fight. I uh, fought my last kind of amateur show on my home show in Uma and um I fought that at like seventy-five kilo as well. Like it was probably sitting heavier then heavy then. Yes. That was when I came back from the whole McGregor thing and I went to New York and I was gonna turn pro over in New York and I was gonna start a gym, blah blah blah, and ended up ended up like holidaying for a month and then it turned into two month holiday and then a three month holiday and And things just didn't really get going when I got over there. I was coaching in a boxing club, Champs Boxing Club in New Rochelle, who Larry Friars trains out of. Um, Ritio Larry's the head coach there. And I was training guys in there and taking pads. I was still around a boxing gym. I was still around a boxing community. still learning as a a boxer, um, but I just wasn't training. I wasn't living the life. Then I went up to see my sister in Canada and then came home. And when I came home, I didn't have the mentality for anything for about a year struggled struggled a lot um, when I moved down to Dublin that, that Christmas um, I, I needed to get out like I made the decision to move to Dublin it was Ray Morlett fought in Castle Bar for the WBC silver title and um, I was chatting to Stephen O'Rourke my head, co- the head coach there and he says look come down do a bit of training and at that stage I was probably I was sitting very heavily really out of shape my face was swollen I wasn't I wasn't the fighter that I was and he seen something he just he just he seen something of me and he he knew that I needed to get rid of my old rut so that's when I. I t- it took me a good year to get settled in in Dublin um, just getting a job and trying to get a place to myself you know I was living in digs with my girlfriend and uh, it was It was hard it was very hard as you know the the renting crisis in Dublin it's absolutely crazy we for you know, paying, paying out of your skin for just to live for the base, base amount, you know. So um but it took me a good full year to get, get into it. And then when I got going, COVID hit. Yeah, but of course. It, it, something needed to, something deep down in me. There's no, you can't just let yourself go again and go back into training. And then I needed that fight. I needed that fight date in October. Or I had a fight date in September. And then it changed to October, so it gave me a little bit of extra time to get ready. And then obviously, I'm here now, 2 0. An I'm 2 0. An I'm 2 0 an going for my third fight now on the 20th of February. Um, it's been hopefully the cases don't surge high again and the shows are going to be cancelled again. Because I've seen there was a show on the 23rd of January, Irish boxing show was cancelled. Yeah. Unfortunate. That's the way things are going at the moment in boxing community with uh, COVID. Um, but yeah, I hope hoping to get out in the twentieth February, go three and zero, and then hopefully be it no by the end of the year, and get in some big fights.
2: Maybe get an eight or ten rounder title, and set my path. Keep going for it. Exactly. Well, Turner, we wish you all the best, and we'll be keeping an eye on your progress See in twenty twenty one. I've no doubt you're gonna you're gonna rack up those wins. Keep going. I appreciate it. luxury quality within reach go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com slash style sick of being upsold at gyms